Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. It's great to have you with me, and I hope your year's off to a wonderful start. I'm going to do something a little bit different in this podcast. I want to talk about some of the events that occurred on January 6th here in Washington, D.C., where I'm sitting right now. Uh, I'm going to talk just a little bit more from the heart. This was a very difficult day for me, as I'm sure it was for you. And I have some perspectives, some thoughts uh, that I want to share. I will tell you right now up front that I'm going to describe my thoughts and some of the events that happened in this podcast. The next podcast podcast, the one for next week, is going to mainly be for religious leaders. Now, I want all of you to listen to it, but be aware that I'm going to be talking largely to religious leaders, to pastors, etc., and talking about the implications of this event for you and what you are likely to deal with and what you're going to have to keep an eye on. But let's talk about what happened on January the 6th. Some background first. When Donald Trump first came on the scene, um, he did so couching his campaign uh, with a, an aura, a motif, a tone of complaint. We have been robbed. We have been wronged. The other side has done certain things to us. It's time for there to be a correction. Uh, it's time for the thieves to be exposed, so to speak. Uh, it's time for good traditional Americans to no longer be robbed, to no longer be wronged, uh, to no longer be abused. And I have to tell you that this worked. You had a great many people who felt disaffected from American politics, uh, particularly blue-collar, rural, southern. Uh, This was the profile of people who had not been very engaged in politics, who didn't feel like either party really spoke for them, but who felt like they were wronged by the globalism of the Obama administration, by the Obama administration's bombarding of people of faith. We've talked about that before. um, And by a lot of the economic policies. And then things they just didn't agree with, like uh, the strident pro-LGBTQ agenda of the Obama administration. All of that had blue-collar, southern, slightly right-of-center people um, upset, feeling disenfranchised, feeling like their, their country saw them as an enemy, and then came Donald Trump. And Donald Trump said, hey, you've been wronged. I get it. I may be a billionaire, but I understand it. I can speak plainly. I can speak in the language of the street. Uh, I can even speak in in, in harsh, cussing, uh, semi-racist, violent terms that you'll understand. Uh, I may not be the guy sitting in the deer blind with you, but I can talk just like him. Uh, I may not drink beer, but I can talk like the guy sitting next to you at the bar. And let me tell you why, how you've been wrong. Let me tell you how these people are trying to destroy him. Destroy America, and it's time to make America great again. Now, to say it positively, there was a lot of appeal to this. In fact, there are things Donald Trump talked about, and I've said this many, many times in this podcast, so it's nothing new to you. Uh, There were things he talked about that I care about. I care about religious liberty. I care about abortion. Um, I care uh, somewhat about immigration. I think actually immigration has decreased so much, it's not as much of an issue now. 
I have less concern than he does about uh, Middle Eastern immigration, which, I, by the way, has been good for the U.S., uh, a little bit more concern about immigration over our southern borders. But again, that has dropped substantially, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think he understood very much about foreign policy, but hey, every president's got his flaws, and foreign policy is an area of my uh, academic and professional involvement. So uh, I was able, I was willing to let him off the hook. But this is how he galvanized voters. This is how he caused a huge portion of the American electorate to turn out. There is a complaint. You've been wronged. I'm going to fix it. Let's make America great again. And so he mobilized, he galvanized, he stirred into action, he drew to the polls, however you want to say it, a people who believed themselves to be wronged. Now, uh, my academic set can sit there and say, you know what, this is some of the wealthiest and most uh, privileged people in the history of the world. Uh, a middle-class, blue-collar guy driving around in his Ford pickup with his cell phone and his home and maybe his lake house uh, and his job and his kids going off to college, even though they have to take out a lot of student debt, etc. He's living a life that's in the top 1% of everybody in history. So what is his big gripe? What did Donald Trump tap into? And I have sat at symposia and I have talked to professors and I have read their books and the academic set has a hard time understanding this crowd. I have less of a difficulty understanding this crowd because this crowd uh, are my cousins and my friends and uh, I'm from, you know, I was born in Albany, Georgia, and my father, although a military officer, basically a Southern boy, and thought in these terms. Okay, so I, I, I get it. I get it. This is what made Donald Trump a success. And when he won by a nose hair uh, in the election and defeated Hillary Clinton, who just ran a bad campaign, everybody admits that now, um, it was stunning, but it was also thrilling to this particular crowd. And I don't have to tell you, we all know how Donald Trump has conducted himself uh, through the four years of the campaign. For much of the country, for some of the country, uh, it's thrilling. Uh, for evangelicals, they're just grateful not to have Barack Obama and that tribe shoving LGBTQ issues on them, uh, condemning their religion, treating their religion as though it's some kind of a sickness, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the things we've talked about before, all the things you already know. Uh, but there was definitely, in Donald Trump's manner, uh, a bombastic, harsh, blaming modality that was a serious dysfunction in his administration. Having some friends of the administration, having watched it close up, I'll tell you, uh, the turnover in his administration, the people who came in to help him, came in believing in him and quickly soured and got out, uh, who believed that he was uh, dysfunctional at a deep psychological level, was pretty amazing. One of the people I most admire is General Mattis. We've talked about him before. Um, left very concerned, not just about foreign policy and the issue on which he left uh, relating to foreign policy, I agreed with him on, but also concerned about Donald Trump's mental state, that he constantly was blaming people, uh, that he couldn't keep facts in his head, that he wasn't a reader, that he didn't pay attention to the reports, um, that he that he was constantly thinking about his own ego, his own personal well-being, his own positioning in the print, in the press, I'm sorry, um, his, his tweeting, etc., all of this kind of thing, and he couldn't constantly concentrate on the business at hand. All of that brings us to the recent election. Now, from the moment that Donald Trump seemed to have lost, and I'm being kind to uh, people I don't necessarily agree with, uh, but seemed to have lost the 2020 election, he began to say that he had actually won it. And uh, 
most people took that as a bit of ranting. Uh, most people said, you know, okay, this is this is an ad- a person who's an adolescent emotionally unable to concede that they actually lost. It's just like I was when I was 17 and left a football game that I'd just played in, angry, bitter, sweaty, and saying the refs robbed it from us or they cheated and beat us. Now, you know, it's, it's fine to be bitter for a while about a loss and blame it on the other side or the refs or the coaches or the cheerleaders or the popcorn stand, whatever. And so many of us took it that way. And that went on. It went on for a while. Trump said he'd actually won the election. He said he had won it, actually won it. Uh, the hashtag was stop the steal. We all know this. Okay. Well, when we got to the new year, it got a bit more serious and dangerous because, and I tweeted about this at the time, uh, because he began to focus on Mike Pence, his vice president, saying that Mike Pence could, quote unquote, do the right thing. He could hand us this election. He could stop the steal. He could make this happen. Well, the reality was two things. First of all, Mike Pence has probably sacrificed his political career for the good of Donald Trump. He he agreed to become his vice president. And during the vice presidency, even though I like Mike Pence very much um, and and believe he's a very good man and want to see him have more influence in American politics in the years to come, if that's possible, the fact is even I was saying that he looked like a lackey time after time after time. Now, Trump's a big personality and he's a bit of a bully and, and, and Pence was a as vice president, so it wasn't uh, out of character for Trump to order Pence around and bully him a bit and even do it publicly. But when it came down to actually on January 6th, as January 6th approached, and we were knowing that the Congress was going to count the electoral votes, uh, Trump began to talk as though Pence could make this decision. Pence could correct the grand wrong. Pence could overrule everything. He has no constitutional authority whatsoever. His job was basically as MC. His job was basically to get the business done that day. He had no authority whatsoever to change the election. But Trump spoke for days in advance as though Pence could somehow right this grand wrong. Well, Trump's insistences that a grand wrong was going to be done on January 6th brought people from all over the country to protest. And Trump fed this. Now, I don't believe, I want to say it right up front, I don't believe that Trump knew the kind of violence that was going to break out. I don't think he, he didn't say go beat up anybody. He didn't say take sticks. He didn't say, you know, break break out the windows and try to murder people. But he did blame He did say very clearly and repeatedly that if Pence did the right thing, this thing would be uh, corrected. And if Pence didn't do the right thing, quote unquote, I don't think I'll like him as much. He's saying that in front of massive and overheated crowds. So all of this, of course, was complete crap. Pence couldn't do anything. The Electoral College had already voted. The numbers hadn't changed. And let me put a parenthesis in here right now. The whole idea that the election had been stolen. Listen, from the beginning and with any election, I'm open to the possibility that there's been some corruption. But you got to show me proof. 
Remember, I've said in this podcast repeatedly, I assume there's a little bit of corruption in every election. You don't know what they're doing uh, in Buckstort, Tennessee. You don't know what the poll captain did, um, you know, out there in Clyde, Texas. Uh, you, you, there's a little bit of corruption. There's some corruption. Um, it's even become a joke. I've told you before about uh, people who have said that their grandparents were proven to have voted long after they were dead in, in certain elections. It happens. It can happen by accident. It can happen intentionally. There's a little edge. Does it change the overall election? By the way, we ought to try to stamp out all any kind of fraud, any kind uh, of error, any kind of corruption, wherever we find it, even if it's in Bucksnort, Tennessee. But And I use that a lot because it's a small town outside of Nashville. But what I'm saying is, uh, in a national election, you have to ask yourself, does it change the outcome? Now, I have been open. I have, I have, I have asked repeatedly, if anyone has any absolute evidence of corruption, I'd like to see it. More than 50 legal cases filed by the Trump team, and not one even got the light of day from the courts. I'm not saying the courts didn't pay attention. I'm saying the courts did pay attention. This includes the conservative courts, Republican-appointed courts, the Fifth Circuit, all appointed by Republican presidents. Um, none of them found any basis at all. In fact, when the Supreme, this whole issue came before the Supreme Court, they issued their response in one page. There just wasn't any beef. There just wasn't any there there. And, and this is not Stephen Mansfield speaking because I was happy to be convinced otherwise. Tell me that there was corruption. If there is, I'll work for a, a you know, for a revote, recount, whatever we need to have. If the, if the machines are corrupt, the log algorithms are have been fine-tuned, tell us. Every time there was a recount, it confirmed the accuracy of the election. Every time the machines were checked, it confirmed. So I'm no expert. All I'm telling you is 50 different cases, not one court gave it the light of day, left, right, and center. I have never to this day, they were now uh, two months later, uh, more than two months later, I have never seen any evidence other than rumor, other than accusation, other than I just don't like the other side. So close parentheses. We come now to January 6th. My wife had gotten up to fly out of town the day before, and she said, Stephen, she called me and said, I've never been as tempted to be afraid. There are people flooding into this airport. They are wearing camo. They're wearing military gear. Um, they have MAGA hats on, which doesn't bother her now. Most of our friends are, you know, Trump supporters uh, just because we're conservatives. And a lot of conservatives would be that way. And both our families are Southern conservative families. And so we just are around folks who are, you know, walking around in MAGA hats all the time. Doesn't freak us out at all, even though we slightly disagree, as you can tell in this podcast, that, you know, I have my concerns about Donald Trump. Although, as I've said, I'm with him on a lot of issues. And so she called me and said, I, I, I've never been as tempted to be afraid People are walking around, camo, military gear, MAGA hats, Jesus masks, Jesus t-shirts, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you. But you can tell that there's an intention uh, to do violence. This is an angry, violent crowd. They're even being pushy and loud in the airport. They're picking fights even with the staff. Uh, this is a this is a bunch of people who intend to do harm. We're, we're, we're going to have trouble. Some of the most prophetic words I've ever heard. Um, so that was January 5th. The next day. Again, Trump gets up that morning. He continues to hammer Pence. I tweet out, not that, not that this is part of the story. I'm just telling you where I am on this issue. I tweet out that this this uh, this continued bombardment of Trump is some of the worst presidential behavior I've ever seen. And I stand absolutely by that. I've never known. Sure, presidents and vice presidents squabbled uh, throughout history, but I've never known a president to actually set up his vice president 
as the cause of his defeat and to focus the intention, uh, attention of his supporters on that man as perhaps doing evil. Okay, so that's where things were as of about noon. It was about that time that the march on the Capitol began. And we will be talking, I'm sure, again down the road about the fact that the security forces in D.C. were not prepared for this assault. Uh, I'm given to understand that as many as 20,000 people descended on the Capitol. I think the numbers are still in question. Don't quote me. Uh, but that's what I've been told. Is more than just over 20,000 people. And there's no question. Now, you need to know briefly, there are 30 different approximately 30 different police forces in D.C. And I won't even go through it all. Everything from Metro police and uh, meaning our subway police to library police to personal protection services to the Mint police, the D.C. police, the Columbia police, Capitol police, Park police. I could go on and on. And often they don't get their jurisdiction straightened out. And somehow on this day, that's what happened. Even though the National Guard, which are not D.C. police forces, but obviously military forces, um, state level outside of D.C., they offered help, but they were refused. My guess is maybe the mayor, people on Capitol Hill didn't want to over-militarize the situation. They got criticized for that during the summer with Black Lives Matter. And so they turned down the help. And as a result, when the crowd descended on the Capitol and it began to get violent, there's no question. We all know now the Capitol Police and whatever other forces, the D.C. Police, whatever other forces came in there were not equal to the task. There are going to be investigations. Some are alleging that, that people on the D.C. on the Capitol Police Force were even in collusion with the protesters. And, 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 and a literal invasion of our Capitol building occurred. Now, I want to tell you that I watched this crowd carefully, and the reason I did that was that I knew of people around the country who planned to be there. I'm not saying any of my close friends were coming to protest. I just knew. One guy said, you know what? My crazy daughter-in-law is going, and she's convinced she's doing the right thing. I just, so I just knew of people within two or three, four concentric circles of relationships for me who were going to be there. Uh, wives of friends, daughters-in-law of friends, uh, you know, cousins of you know, brothers-in-law of friends, things like that. So I knew that some people who were decent, good people, really concerned about the election, believing that Joe Biden had stolen it, we're coming to protest. I don't fully agree with them, but hey, I, that's fine. It's their right to come and stand peacefully in, the, in D.C., which is a protest city, and uh, state their case. What happened pretty quickly was that violence ensued, and it's obvious that people came intending to do violence. And I want to tell you this crowd was fascinating to me. Yeah, you had your Christian crowd. You had your more traditional ma and pa kind of crowd, church crowd, I might call them. You had people blowing shafars, the uh, Jewish ram's horn that is used, blown to celebrate, uh, you know, the, the beginning of certain celebrations and what have you. Many evangelicals, many Christians have picked that up as part of their process, uh, their practice. You had people carrying the Christian flag. You had people carrying crucifixes. You had people in Jesus t-shirts, etc. But you also had uh, people wearing anti-Semitic t-shirts. You also had um, people wearing Auschwitz t-shirts. You had anti-Semitic symbolism. Um, you, you had many people carrying a Confederate flag. Uh, you had many people making of the issue guns. Come and take it is, of course, the standard phrase uh, out of the movie 300 about Thermopylae. Um, the, the 300 Spartans who held the Persians off at Thermopylae. Uh, anyway, don't need to get into all that history, but, you, but most of you men have seen the movie. Um, 
you had you had unusual things. You had people dressed in colonial outfits. You had uh, people in neo-pagan uh, gear. Um, you obviously had people who were there intent upon violence. Many, many people were carrying zip ties, which are the plastic straps that basically are made to be handcuffs. They're plastic handcuffs. You see the police use them all the time. They're quick. They're strong. Um, they're, they're recyclable, etc. And so the police carry them. Many, many, many people were carrying those. And it's obvious that people were intent upon violence. Uh, there was a gallows built in the, on the lawn of the Capitol. And before long, the chant, and it was chanted by the majority of people who were there, um, was hang Mike Pence. And they chanted hang Mike Pence over and over and over. Now, uh, a crowd showing up to protest an election they think was stolen, that's perfectly fine. What soon began to happen was a breaking into the Capitol. By the way, the Senate was in session. A breaking into the Capitol to hunt down certain officials and do what with them? There was a gallows in the front lawn. If I say they were there to kill them, I don't think I'm overstating it. We now know people were armed. Uh, people on both sides had guns pointed at them. Uh, a, a, a Capitol policeman shot uh, and killed a woman. Um, the crowd was violent. It, uh, there was a policeman killed, being, having been apparently, according to what we've been told, beaten to death by, uh, with a fire extinguisher by one of the guards. I'm sorry, one, by the crowd. Uh, one woman was killed because she was just trampled by the crowd that was at a big uh, you know, moment of surge and fury. My point is that this was not you know, Walmart America. This was not your church crowd. This was not, as it's often portrayed, you know, praying people operating under, under some kind of prophetic guidance. This was violent. This was neo-pagan. This was anti-Semitic. Uh, I'm not saying all of it. Certainly the church crowd was there. Certainly good people uh, who just simply are grieved about their country and wanted to stand on the lawn and pray. They were there, no question about it. But you're, you're talking about a, a kind of a skinhead attitude with a lot of people. You're talking about folks who showed up in, in riot gear. Apparently we can get that now at military surplus stores and online, tactical stores and so on. So people came and they came as armed or as uh, protected in their armor and their body wear um, as the police themselves. And we all know what happened next. They broke in. They went looking for people. Obviously, some folks had maps. By the way, maps of the Capitol are public, so this is not any big thing. Um, and they went looking for Mr. Clyburn. They went looking for Nancy Pelosi. They went looking for Mike Pence. The Senate has to had to suspend. The Secret Service had to whisk the vice president away. Nancy Pelosi had to be whisked into a safe room in the Capitol uh, that's not disclosed. And her office, as you now know, famously was invaded. Uh, things were torn up. Things were broken. Somebody sat on at her desk and put their feet up on her desk and and uh, wrote we'll be back on notes <laughs> on her desk etc so I, I, the reason I'm saying all this in this way um, is to say that the one-dimensional presentation of this crowd is not accurate this was not just heartland American patriots showing up if they had shown up prayed chanted, called for change. That's fine. That happens in D.C. every day. And on some issues, I'm with them. I, I, I participate in the pro-life uh, marches. I, I participate in, in uh, manhood. Hey, let's have good, 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 righteous men come to, the, come to the nation and pray for the nation and declare themselves as, as good men and patriots here. I'm, I'm with all. I think it's great. I'm, I'm happy to have a big prayer and let's, let's intercede. And Franklin Graham leads, a, leads something on the mall where we pray for the nation. Fine with me. I'm with all that. There are people 
peaceful. They are principled. Uh, they are legal. They have licenses and permits. They work with the park police. They're there for a higher reason. This was evolved into a, a violent uprising. This was absolutely an invasion of the U.S. Capitol. People were killed. People were trampled. The, the Capitol was desecrated. I don't mean it. I don't think it's the church. I don't think it's something sacred. Um, things were broken. People were hunted. There's no question that had Nancy Pelosi been found, she would have been handcuffed, paraded outside, and I'd be shocked if she wasn't killed. There was a gallows in the front yard, and we now know that many, many, many of the people uh, who were there had guns. We, it's obvious. We know that. We have pictures of them pulling their guns and pointing them at Park Police and Capitol Police. And, of course, uh, to I have a concealed carry permit, which is legal in Virginia. You can't carry a concealed weapon or any weapon in the, um, in the property of D.C. You're, it's illegal. So everyone who carried a weapon to this riot um, was breaking the law. Okay, my point is not just to condemn all of the um, people who protested. I think there are good people who were there. I think they were there to pray. I think they were there to, to grieve over their nation. I think they are deeply concerned about the next administration. And some of them, largely the doing of Donald Trump, are genuinely convinced that the election was stolen. Okay, fair enough. They can come, even if I don't fully agree with them. Nobody's asking Stephen Mansfield's permission, and they don't have to. You need to know that our capital was invaded, and it was invaded by forces intent upon violence and destruction and murder. There is no question about this. There is video of a man who is just decked out with armor and zip ties and everything else. He grabs a, a Capitol policeman in a helmet. The man has lost his, the policeman has lost his balance. The other guy grabs him by the helmet, drags him into the crowd where he is stomped, beaten, hit. I mean, stomped violently. That's what's going on there. So those who win, and I know I've got some of some of you who are listening to this are, are among you who went and were part of this this protesting crowd, and I, I trust that you went there for noble purposes. You need to know the rest of what happened. Now, what what's what's happened here uh, is that there's been the accusation that Antifa took over this riot. Every all the violence is going to be blamed on Antifa, but as the arrests are happening, and as the investigations are happening, and as the profiling and the hunting down of people is happening, we're finding that that's not true. That goofy guy, uh, you know, draped in an American flag and wearing buckskin and wearing a buffalo hat, called uh, Q Shaman. Um, he's not Antifa. He's an he's an un, he's a un, unemployed actor who lives with his mother, who has made himself kind of a quote unquote shaman of the QAnon movement. We've talked about it before, um, and and he was there, and he's now arrested. Uh, others were. There was a retired Air Force officer there who got said he got caught up in the moment. I don't happen to believe that, but got caught up in the moment, and uh, he's there in a helmet and a bulletproof vests and. You know, all the accoutrement, not weapons on the outside, but everything else, the zip ties and all of it. My point is that while I believe in protests, while I believe in some resistance, while I believe in even some of the complaints that Donald Trump has built his political career on, what happened on January 6th was domestic terrorism. People, they intended to kill 
our officials. They invaded our building. They, in, they were intent upon violence. And while there are those of you listening to this, I'm quite sure, um, who are, I would call, I don't have any hesitation calling you my tribe. You attend a Christian church. You love America. You may be from the heartland. You read books about Christian America and about our founding fathers. You love our country. You weep over the loss of Ronald Reagan. You're, 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 you know, we're, we, we, we're probably not 10, 20 percent between difference between us, you need to know what actually happened uh, at the forefront of the movement that you were in the back of. Many of you were out there praying. I've, I've seen the videos, groups praying, interceding. I'm not sure you knew what was happening up there until the flashbangs began and until the story of the police began to show up in great measure. Now, this is going to live in our history. It's going to give the conservative movement a black eye. It's going to damage, I believe, the cause of Christ in our generation because this is being billed as a bunch of evangelicals who got out of hand. That is what's being said. And believe me, the implications of this long term are going to be huge. And I want you to think about how the people you know got there. I want you to be kind to those who went just to pray or to, or to protest in peaceful ways. That's legitimate. That's expected. That's American. But dark forces, dark guerrilla, military, paramilitary, skinhead, Antifa-like, I don't believe Antifa was actually there. There's been no evidence of that thus far. Um, angry, subterranean, right-wing, violent, weapon stockpiling people who came to D.C. intent upon killing, intent upon murdering, intent upon hanging. The main chant was hang Mike Pence. And while I don't believe the president intended to incite this kind of violence, his blaming of Mike Pence has hung a target over Mike Pence for the rest of his life. And Mike Pence served him well and had no ability to change the vote on January 6th. Now, I'm going to continue this in the next podcast. I'm going to talk to religious leaders and, and flesh out a little bit more of what I'm speaking of here. But I want you to be, I want us to all to be aware that forces have been unleashed here, which are not going away. I want us to be aware uh, for those of you who went there for righteous purposes, that you got meshed in with people who are violent, who are murderous, who are not patriots, who intended mayhem and now have damaged both the cause of Christ and any kind of patriotic cause, probably for much of the rest of our generation. We're going to have to rebuild. We probably can rebuild. But this was destructive. This was domestic terrorism. This was uh, conspiratorial. This was uh, un-American and destructive. And we are going to be dealing with it for a long time. Already, the shutdown of conservative causes in major tech and major media um, is, of course, damaging uh, the ability of the right, to, uh, the, the, the sane right, to speak to each other because how can the press make a distinction? How can um, Amazon, how can Facebook make a distinction between the calm, sane right and the hardcore right uh, that was violent and that fed this moment? Well, you see what we're dealing with. And even though I'm sure many of you have responses to this and exceptions and you're not considering this and you're not considering this, I consider this, what I've said today, to be the core of the issue for us, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are, I, I, as you know, I'm slightly right of center, not hard right. We are going to be dealing with the implications of this for the rest of our lives. January 6th will be mentioned, thrown in our faces, used to muffle us. And it was a horrible, horrible moment. It was a violent moment, a murderous moment, a destructive moment. 
It was domestic terrorism, and it will harm us and taint us and put a cloud over good causes for a generation. All right, let's talk about this more next week. Please be pondering this. Don't let it rob you. Don't let it keep you in constant stir. But have the conversations in your home you need to have. Have the conversation with relatives who were there you need to have. I don't want you to condemn them or hate them. I want you to understand the noble causes that got the noble ones who were there. But I also want us to begin to separate ourselves in the church, in the conservative cause, uh, in our communities from the violent ones who have gone with murderous intent, and by the way, still have that murderous intent, and are still out there networking, and still intend violence. By the way, I think we'll see a version of this again, and all over the country, before January 20th. All right, more soon. Thanks for being with me. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.